Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, I've got to say thanks for all the great feedback following our Jude Gold interview. That was episode 32, put it out last week. It's great talking to Jude and uh, great seeing so many people enjoying the episode. Thanks for the feedback. I really appreciate it. If you haven't heard that one, um, yeah, dig back. Um, guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com or iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're hearing it, us right now, really. And you should be able to access that interview and all of our others. But today, we are talking to Alistair Green, killer player, also from the west coast of the States. Alistair fronts up his own blues rock band, the Alistair Green Band, and tours the world playing mega hits in the Alan Parsons Project. So uh, he's playing bars, he's playing stadiums. Wherever he is, he's doing some great guitar playing, as you'll hear throughout this interview. Alistair tells us about growing up in California, uh, especially during the 1980s where there was intense guitar playing everywhere. Uh, Alistair ended up getting to Berkeley, putting his own band together, recording his own albums. He also tells us what it's like to land a massive sideman gig, as is the case with the Alan Parsons Project. Hanging out with Steve Morse from Deep Purple, hanging out with orchestras, all that kind of stuff. It's all part of a day's work for Alistair Green. Really good guy too. We had a good guitar hang. So here it is, my conversation with Alistair. Alistair Green, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. And especially you look very busy at the moment. You've uh, got a whole bunch of your solo gigs happening right now. Yeah, man, I've got a bunch of stuff with my band coming up, and I've also got a you know a handful of things where I'm going and either you know subbing for a guitar player or doing a couple other things here and there, and trying to keep it busy through the holiday season. Awesome, very cool. Now we're just speaking uh, off air. Um, so you are in um, Ventura in California. Yep. Cool. Correct. And did you grow up there? Is this pretty much your home state? I grew up in uh, Santa Barbara, which is a little further north, and uh, I went. I lived in Boston for a couple years in uh, my late teens. I went to Berklee College of Music for a couple years in Boston, okay, yep. so I lived there. And then uh, I moved back, started playing in bands, and then my wife and I moved down here when uh, Santa Barbara got a little too expensive to live in. So yeah, we've been down here for a while, and it's actually a really good location. It's close to where I grew up and where a lot of the local gigs are that I play. And it's also really close to Los Angeles and cool. LAX. So if I need to go jump on a plane, it takes about an hour to get to Los Angeles, you know, international airport. So yeah, it's a good place, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, when did, um, so growing up out there, when did you start playing? I, I think I've read that your mother was a piano player. Was, was she big influence? Yeah. My, yeah, my mom played a lot of piano around the house growing up. My, you know, my father's father, my grandfather was a professional musician, um, you know, who played in big bands in the 40s, played with a guy named Stan Kenton. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather's name was Chico Alvarez. So there was music, you know, growing up. And I took piano lessons for a while, and I played saxophone for a while, and I started playing bass in junior high, and... I re- at a certain point, I was just like, man, I really want to try guitar. So I started playing guitar when I was about, I want to say, 14 or 15 years old. Okay, yep. And, uh, you know, I got into it basically through a lot of the, the hard rock bands of that time and all the great guitar players that came out of the, uh, you know, early and mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We um Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty much the same age, Alistair, so you're talking... Um... Yeah, the mid '80s. There's little, there's guitar and everything. Even the pop tunes had shredding guitar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's. I mean, yeah, guitar was definitely a uh, a huge factor in in a lot of popular music and even you know some of the other stuff that you know we were probably listening to. So uh, yeah, it was you know it was just an exciting time to start playing guitar. And there's all these guys that were technically taking things to the next level, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know that some of that's become very unhip nowadays, but I really enjoyed listening to the, you know, I mean, I never got to that point as, as, you know, as a guitar player technically, but it was really exciting to hear, you know, Racer X and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the Shrapnel record label, all those guys, Jason yeah, Becker yeah. and, you know, and Steve Vai and Joe Saturani came out that time and, 
you know, so it was just an exciting time, you know, playing guitar, just listening to all these guys just, you know, going crazy on the <laughs> instrument. Cool. I said by the time you got to guitar, so you'd already played, as you said, the piano and saxophone and bass. Did that um did that accelerate your guitar learning experience? If you you probably already had a handle on some theory and yeah, stuff. I mean, I could, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could read, you know, I, so I learned how to read music at a fairly young age and you know, just by being around music and, you know, just kind of yeah, having a concept of, you know, playing single notes on the saxophone, mm -hmm. having a concept of, you know, playing chords and stuff on the piano and obviously bass lines, playing guitar. I mean, it's still challenging and it's obviously a very challenging instrument, but I do feel like I got a pretty good head start on it. And uh, so it definitely kind of informed just some of the, like the basic theory and reading and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And you mentioned um, yeah some of those eighty shredders. Who who were some early influences? I guess once you started finding your feet as a guitarist, what what kind of songs well, did you want to learn? Well, when I first started playing guitar, uh, my favorite guitar player, the guy that kind of like I was just like, oh man, I really want to do that, was probably Jakey Lee. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, from you know Ozzy's band, Aussie's and band, then. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I think the first Badlands record came out. Okay, yeah. And, and I just immediately loved that. The guy that I was taking lessons from turned me on, kind of started turning me on to the history of rock guitar because, you know, I, I was a kid, <clears throat> you know, wanting to learn Van Halen and, and Ingve or whatever, and he was like going, no, man, you're going to really have to learn how to crawl and walk before you can sprint <laughs> and so he started turning me on to eric clapton and Jimi hendrix yeah freddie king and so i heard some of that stuff and and you know and i heard the badlands album and there was something about a handful of these guitar players that at the time i didn't know what it was that i was gravitating gra gravitating towards i was gravitating towards the blues influence mm -hmm. you know and so jakey lee had it i thought vivian campbell had it yeah. Um, you know, on those Dio records and even the White Snake, uh, you know, stuff that he I mean, he didn't really record much with White Snake, but I saw them a couple times on tour and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um so, you know, so that was kind of those were kind of my guys. I really liked Warren D. Martini and uh and again, these are all guys that had maybe not, you know, traditional blues influences, but they were definitely influenced by Led Zeppelin or Michael Shanker or mm -hmm. you know, some of those guys were obviously with Vivian Campbell, Rory Gallagher and Gary Moore. And uh, so those were the guys early on that I was really kind of getting into. And I was in a, a hard rock, you know, slash metal band in high school. And we'd go down and play in Hollywood and stuff like that. And and uh, so that was kind of my early, early time on guitar, I would say, between, you know, the ages of 14 and 17, probably. Okay. Okay. And then you went to Berkeley, as you mentioned. That must have been yeah. somewhere around there as well. How old were you when you went to Berkeley? Um, well, I spent a year after high school uh, in Santa Barbara, going to Santa Barbara City College, taking some music classes to kind of bone up on some stuff. And yep. then I went to Berkeley. Uh, I think my first year there was 1990. So I was there from 90 to 92. I was just there for a couple years. Okay. Under a scholarship, that, too. Yeah, I got a partial scholarship. I played guitar in the high school jazz band, and we were doing a jazz competition in Florida. And there was a guy there from Berkeley kind of handing out a few partial scholarships and stuff so i got one and that really helped i mean it's not a it's a pretty expensive school to get into and mm -hmm. and uh you know my grandmother had set a little bit of money aside and i got another scholarship from some foundation here so i was able to go and uh spend a couple of years there and it was great man i mean i met some amazing musicians and also just got my mind blown as far as getting turned on to a lot of different kinds of music okay yeah what, what were you hearing that was different uh you know my roommate for both the years that I was there was a drummer and he had like a lot of Frank Zappa stuff okay, and yeah. uh, some weather report and you know, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of some of the other stuff that, that we, that I had, that, that he had, um, you know, there was just, you know, a lot of different, you know, I got turned on this, a lot of jazz stuff, you know, Coltrane and more Miles Davis things from different people. Cool. Uh, when I was there, you know, was the Steve Vai Passion and Warfare album had just come out, so a lot of the guitar players were really into that. And I'd already kind of started getting into blues at that point okay. and, and blues rock. And so there was some guys there that were into a lot of that. So I got to, you know, hear a lot of, you know, Freddie King and Albert King records that I hadn't really heard before. 
and uh so yeah it was neat man i mean there was just a lot of different stuff that i that i got to hear steve morris i got turned on to steve morris when i was there okay maha vishnu orchestra um with john mclaughlin you know so just you know all these great guitar players that were you know playing stuff i'd gotten into eric johnson right before i went over there and i got to see him play great Uh, he played at the berkeley performance center and so yeah it was just you know it was pretty mind-blowing getting turned on to all that music and then you know getting to see some of it too fantastic yeah the the idea i had with berkeley is that you were having um like amazing musicians would come through and and do a do a master class or or a gig or something as well as your your usual tuition yeah i actually i so yeah i got to see uh danny gatton actually danny gatton did a clinic while i was there and i you know I, i sat like you know in the second or third row and some people have told me that the clinic is somewhere on uh, on YouTube or on video somewhere, and you can see my hat in the second row just geeking out <laughs> on Dan again. So, yeah, he gave a clinic, and then he actually played later that night at the Berkeley Performance Center, and it was just, you know, it was just total insanity. Um, and then there's a guy named Ronnie Earl, who's a great uh, oh, yeah, blues yeah. guitar player blues, from, yeah. the, from the Northeast. And yeah. when I was there, he gave a couple of clinics. There weren't really so much clinics as he just got up and, and played with his with his band and and being you know that i'd you know been getting into the blues and stuff i was just like oh my god this guy is just he was just so amazing and he still is i mean he's still putting out records and stuff i don't think he's touring that much but he's a great you know guitar player and so i I saw him and you know there was a few others here and there that i saw and then also just going to see bands that were coming through you know like i did like i saw eric johnson as i said i saw alan holdsworth one time when he came through mike stern um in the blues world i went and saw lonnie mack open for albert collins by myself at some little you know some little club on the outskirts of boston with a fake id to go in and see those guys play you know so yeah this it was is great a- man it was a really exciting time to be you know young and in, in, in love with the guitar so fantastic that's that's such an immersion in it man that's amazing oh yeah i mean oh I'm, yeah man <laughs> I, I was hearing all those guys but obviously they weren't coming down to australia all that often although i did yeah. see i saw holdsworth in i think it was 1990 and um okay yeah i didn't understand it but i knew i i knew i should be appreciating it but i, I yeah didn't, i didn't get all of it <laughs> yeah well I, well I still i still don't understand it. Like, definitely definitely coming from a different place but absolutely uh, very cool guitar player oh yeah yeah cool and um what were you playing around here what 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 guitar what was your guitar back then back then you know i started on uh what did i have i think my first electric was a charvel model three it had a Kaler tremolo system on it and it was uh one humbucker and two single coils Mm -hmm. and i had that and you know like i said i'd gotten into uh, you know, I'd gotten into playing blues and stuff, and and I knew that I needed to step up my game as far as the guitar. So actually, when I was in Boston, I sold the Charvel to somebody, and I went to a music store. I can't remember the name of it, but I got a a '57 reissue Fender Stratocaster. Cool. And this was so this was in 1990, and I think the guitar I think it was like an early 80s, so it was like kind of one of the the first years I think they actually even started doing oh, okay yeah the 57 reissues. Yep. And I mean, if you look, if I mean, mine isn't mine isn't mint or pristine in any way whatsoever. It's sure. really beat up. But if you go on eBay or, or something and check out those guitars, they're actually pretty expensive. Like just the, the fact that it was the early years of the reissues, and yep. uh, you know they were made really well. So that was my first, uh, you know, good guitar. And uh, you know, I'd known Seymour Duncan since I was a kid because you know he's in Santa Barbara and I was in Santa Barbara, so I'd met him. And and so I, you know, every guitar that I would get, I'd always put some sort of Seymour Duncan pickups in it or whatever. So I, and I still have that guitar. I've still got my, my reissue Strat. I don't really play it, you know, that much anymore. I'll record with it occasionally, but it's a great playing and sounding guitar. And I bought that in Boston in I think 1990. So. Okay. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. You, you were just, man, where you were living. What a, what a great spot for all this, this music. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, yeah. I mean, Southern California is, is, you know, as far as seeing, seeing stuff is great. You know, a lot of, you know, obviously bands come through and I'm, like I said, I'm not that far from L.A. So I've been able to 
go catch a lot of cool stuff over the years. Nice. And were you doing bands yourself? So when you finished up Berkeley and went back home, were you, uh, yep. were you gigging and stuff? Yeah, when I when I came home, um, you know, within you know, I had a bunch of friends that I grew up playing music with, and <clears throat> when I came home, I went and visited a friend of mine, and he had an older brother, and his older brother had this friend that was that I met and was helping him, you know, over at the house, and and this guy turned out to be a really great singer, and so we formed what I would consider, you know, my first serious band it was called scarecrow and and that band was i think you know 1992 through 95 or so and so yeah as soon as i came home man i just started playing in bands and that's pretty much what i've been doing ever since you know is <laughs> playing in bands and trying to play as much as possible and you know just gig and record and get better and all that great when did the alistair green band start up that uh was formed I want to say, like right at the end of 1998, okay. I believe I I I was in this band Scarecrow, and then I started another band that was a trio, and I I was kind of in this headspace where pretty much all of my favorite guitar players, you know, sang, and I wanted to kind of push myself in that direction as well. Just you know, you got to keep challenging yourself. So, so I formed a trio. Um, after Scarecrow and then along the way you know I'd been going and sitting in with there was a blues band in Santa Barbara called the Pontiacs that uh, was really well known on the west coast and all the guys were amazing musicians and I became friends with those guys and I hooked up with the drummer and the bass player kind of originally just to kind of record a demo because I wanted to try and you know get a blues band together and go do gigs and we did the we did a demo and, and both those guys you know were you know 10 15 years older than me and we're like hey man you know we should we should go and do this we should go do a blues trio and and, and whatnot and i was like well what do i call it <laughs> <laughs> and there's like i just call your name man and so i i did that and so that started you know 98 i think and uh you know there's been lineup changes and all the other things that you'd expect over the last however many years that is sure. and uh but uh, yeah, so that was pretty much when I started, you know, my 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 band under my name and, and doing, you know, blues and blues rock. Hearing um hearing a bunch of your your own solo stuff, um, Dustin, yeah, very much influenced by rock as much as as the blues. Is that a British perhaps thing? You've already mentioned people like like Clapton and. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I you know I I I, I definitely fell in love with with all that kind of. British blues and blues rock stuff early on when I was when I was learning. It's kind of like when I started getting into blues, it was kind of a combination of uh, these records that a friend of my dad's had loaned me, which was like some Buddy Guy and BB King and Steve Ray Vaughan, and then I was you know really into you know Zeppelin and Cream, uh, you know early Jeff Beck group stuff, and so I you know my music has always kind of been sort of a combination of you know, American blues and blues rock and definitely a lot of the, the British blues and blues rock. album you're working on for release next year is that true yeah we actually yeah we're, we're we've re it's recorded it's mixed we're moving into the mastering stage right now oh, and cool. uh Great. you know and then there's the the artwork stage and sequencing and all that kind of stuff so i'm really excited about it uh you know this is kind of the first time that i 
you know, had, you know, a bunch, you know, a few special guests on a record. And, the, you know, I'd done a few special guests in the past. I had some friends play on some records and, and even okay. some people that I didn't know that well. But this time around, you know, just from being in the blues and blues rock world now for a while, I've been able to, you know, make friends with some of these guys that I really respect. And uh, so we've got some special guests. I mean, the big, the big special guest on the, on, on the new record is uh, Walter Trout. And, uh, you know, wow. he's, Fantastic. he lives, he lives in Southern California and I've gotten to hang out with him and play with him and talk with him and, and everything. And, uh, so I just figured, you know, man, I, I'm just going to ask him. He's just, you know, he's definitely a, a guy that I really respect and look up to not only as, you know, a guitar player, but just as a guy that's really, you know, overcome a lot of adversary, adversary and adversity, I guess would be the word. And, um, mm-hmm. And you know he's just he's just a great player and a great guy and and we're thrilled to have him on the record for sure. When will that be released? We are look. I mean, well, I don't have a release date right now. I'm hoping for yeah. you know somewhere in the April, May, June neck of the woods. Okay. So yeah, sure. You know that's kind of that's kind of what we're hoping at this point. Very cool. Looking forward to that. That sounds um that sounds great. Is uh when you track with that band and with your guests, is that a live sort of thing, or are you you putting tracks together bit by bit? Um, you know, it kind of depends. The last record that we did, Trouble at Your Door, we pretty much recorded yeah. the majority of that live, and then overdubbed vocals and you know some guitars and whatnot. Sure. Um, with this record. I would say we did a we, most of it was live, but I had also just recently gotten into recording at home on uh, using Logic, the recording program Logic. Oh, okay. And yep. so I'd yeah, actually cool. demoed most of the record at home just because I was you know getting used to using the software and I was you know just kind of trying to get all the songs up and running because then it's like, well, God, if I can demo all the songs and give them to my band, you know that's gonna that's going to save, you know, weeks of rehearsal time. I'll just say, go, you know what I mean? Like, go, yes. go, learn, the, go yeah. learn the song and we'll get together, you know, once or twice and we'll go, you know, play them live and then go record it. So what I ended up doing is I ended up kind of falling in love with a, with a few of the things that I did on the demos. You know, there was mm-hmm. like a solo on one song that I just knew I was never going to ever top, you know, uh-huh. because, you're, you know, I'm in my office here and... I've got coffee and, you know, and I'm just, you know, relaxed. And I just, you know, pulled something out. Yes. And I was like, no, nah, I got to keep that somehow. So I would say a handful of the record, we ended up taking the demos and just kind of creating a click track at the studio that we record okay. at and recording the songs to a click so that I, you know, I could end up using, you know, a couple things from the demos. And there's actually a song that I ended up just keeping the all the, you know, there's this one track of guitar and keeping the whole guitar track and the vocal track that I recorded. Cool. And we just re- nice. you know overdub the drums and the bass and you know I think depending upon who you talk to I mean there's various schools of thought as far as recording goes you know there's it's got to be live and that's the only way to really capture the vibe and then there's people that are like you know be meticulous and you know overdub stuff and just get it sounding really tight and this record's kind of a combination of those two different things. There's definitely some live stuff and there's definitely some stuff where we, you know, recorded to a click and overdubbed some things and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's about the songs and the performances and, you know, yeah, you got to get a good vibe, but I think, you know, if you've got the right players in the right attitude, the vibe's going to be there kind of rec- regardless of how you record it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, but when someone hears your album, they're either digging it or they're not. They're not really caring how you put it together. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And with with your band, you obviously worked together for a long time, so you know you guys know if you if something's working or not. So yeah. I think that's cool, yeah, especially in the digital age. Hey, it, in the in the old days, if you're working on a uh, you know like on a Tascam tape deck or something, four track, yeah. like like this. Is, It'd be really hard to export stuff out of that and still have it sound good. Right, absolutely. Digitally, you've got that opportunity. Yeah, for sure, cool. for sure. Yeah, a lot of the plugins are sounding, you know, pretty amazing. So, nice. yeah. Are you um are you micing up amps or are you doing some sort of direct thing? When, 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 when I'm at home, um, I was just using 
uh, some of the plugins. So, you know, like I said, there's not a ton of that on the record, but there's a couple songs that are like, you know, the solo on this one song's a plug-in and the guitar and some other songs just entirely a plug-in. So it's literally ones and zeros. And um wow. But then for the rest of the album, you know, we did we did we you know, we had a bunch of amps and and mic'd them up and 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 all that and got some, you know, got some really cool sounds and tones and whatnot whatnot so in um in a lot of the pictures and i see you in and videos and things you're on a uh sunburst les paul is that is that your go-to guitar that has been over the years i've you know i i experiment a little bit here and there um and i you know when i go out with alan it's either that guitar and then i've got you know uh, music man steve moore's model as well and okay. um Lately, I've been doing the Les Paul again, and one of the reasons is it's actually lighter, <laughs> if you can believe that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a, well, it's, a cha- it's chambered. It's a chambered Les Paul, okay, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't know, you know all the woods that everything's made out of, but the Music Man's a little bit heavier, and I've just been kind of trying to give my back a, a little bit of a rest. <laughs> so Sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that guitar seems to kind of be one that fits in every situation pretty well uh that i that i do and uh like the, the ernie ball is uh, the music man guitar is great for playing with alan just as far as the different pickup selections i can get and the different tones and stuff that's a great guitar and in my band i usually end up using a, a music man for like slide and whatnot but uh, the less the okay, less the yeah. less paul tends to be kind of like the go-to but i mean i have a i have a few other guitars that i'll play with my band and stuff too but the les paul is definitely kind of kind of the go-to okay so that must be a newer one being chambered a fairly recent yeah it's well, a, i should I think say it's, it's, a, a, it's a standard yeah as well, i think it? it's a 2009 and okay, um yep. you know i just i got it it was used and i bought it and i threw some Seymour Duncan pickups in it and I just pretty much left it because I basically bought it to take on the road and so I didn't want to do a bunch of modification I didn't want to get something you know some vintage thing or get something new that I didn't want to get beaten beaten up or whatever and uh, so I literally bought that guitar to be a hammer you know just to be a tool Uh and it's worked out and it's worked out really well um cool yeah so I I think the only other change that I made is I did one of those I put one of those uh compensated nuts in so that it stays in oh, okay. tune a little bit because i think yep gibsons tend to have a couple tuning issues with like the g-string and whatnot so okay but that's the only other thing i've done to it nice what um seymour duncan's do you in that guitar i've got the whole lot of humbucker set which is okay. essentially the you know the jimmy page model but they can't say that because you know, and they'd have to probably pay Jimmy Page, <laughs> but yes. um, but uh, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great pickup set. It's you know, kind of based off of you know some kind of vintage, vintage stuff, the you know old Gibson PFs. But it's got a cool kind of path, kind yeah. of a cool mid range thing in it that uh, that isn't in some of their other pickups. So they, I mean, they make a lot of great you know pickups if you want something that's you know kind of older sounding and more vintage you know output and whatnot. And you know, if you want to do the shred metal stuff they've got all that stuff too sure nice you mentioned the um using the music man for slide sometimes do you do you play slide in standard um i do slide in a few different tunings i do do standard um there you know there's a couple songs in my band where we do drop d and drop d is a really good tuning for slide uh and then Uh i also uh, you know most of the time i do open tunings um i do open e and capo that if i need to and also open and also open a and then i can capo that if i want to so i kind of go between you know standard and some open tunings just kind of depending upon the song uh i'm more comfortable just as far as kind of getting around in some of the open tunings just because of just the way it's the intervals are set up and and even some of the chord voicings are cool so i can kind of get into like a little bit of a different realm in those open tunings that's that's a lot of fun do you have any guitars specifically set up for slide or well, can you just grab whatever no, you play? i actually i do i've got um i've got two music man 
Y2Ds, one that I have oh, okay. that's that's basically set up to go take out on the road with, with Alan. And then I've got yep. another one that's actually it's called the Dark Lord model, which has got a reverse headstock and whatnot. And it's a it's an insane guitar and it stays in tune so well. And I've been using that um, pretty exclusively for slide. It just just the way it holds, just being in tune and the string tension, and it's got a little bit of a thicker neck, and uh, so that I've been using a lot for slide. I've 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 had other guitars that I've set up for slide, but the the thing that you really have to be careful with is is you know how hard you know how heavy of a touch you have with your left hand and what ends up happening sure. if you don't have a guitar actually kind of set up to play slide if you're not careful you just end up banging up your frets and yes. so yeah. the the y2d the steve morse guitar that i have the dark lord has uh i think it's stainless steel frets on it so it's it's kind of it's it's a little bit you know built a little bit more like a tank in that regards and, and i'm not as worried about digging up the frets because there's nothing worse than banging up the you know frets on a on a guitar and then going to try and play regular guitar on it and you've got all these divots and you know what i mean so it's like sure <laughs> and you know it's you know getting a fret change or a fret job you know isn't the cheapest thing in the world so i try and you know maintain the health of the guitars as much as i can absolutely there's uh, i've got one guitar that's kind of a beater uh knockoff of of uh, like a les paul special or something like that it's some kind of semi no-name brand and uh, so it was a cheap guitar, and I've got that set up to play slide on as well, like around the house and stuff. It's got like some kind of P90s in it or whatever, so that's a different thing. But I don't really take that out to gig with that much. It doesn't stay in tune as well as the, as the music man. for a slide i use uh i guess it's a dunlop pyrex uh you know it's open on both ends it's kind of a medium medium thickness medium length and uh you know i put it on my ring finger and uh, okay yeah i use that for electric on acoustic i you know on acoustic i've got you know a national guitar and a couple acoustics and I'll, sometimes i'll use a brass slide on uh, on okay, acoustics yeah. and stuff, it kind of gives it a little bit more of a of an aggressive older school tone. Yeah, sure. What um what acoustics do you play? So a national? That's yeah, that's a I've good got fun a national. It's a lot of fun. Of um, I've got a cool Yamaha acoustic. That's uh, you know got a cutaway and the pickups and stuff like that, and it's got a bunch of you know cool tonal options and whatnot. And I've got uh, an older Sigma, which uh, was a kind of like Martin's. So Martin, Martin knock, shoot, no, yeah. not a not Martin knockoff, but like I guess it would be like the equivalent of an Epiphone or Squire. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've got one of those that uh, that I've used a lot that sounds good. So those are kind of my primary. I am I'm actually sure. due to get like a another acoustic one of these days. It'd be nice to have an old Martin or or something, but to just I just don't play enough acoustic to really merit, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. doing that. But. <laughs> There you go. You've been um, you've been playing with Alan Parsons or touring since uh, about 2010, I yep. think. How, how did that all come about? Well, uh, back in 2002, um, I did a recording session for a friend of mine that was doing a country rock album, and he was also a, a DJ on the local rock radio station at the time, and he'd met Alan at some functions. Alan had moved to 
Southern California, I think, just a little bit before that. And so he was doing some overdubs for his record up at Alan's home studio with with another engineer. And so he asked me to come and play on some songs. And uh, so Alan, you know, showed up and I met Alan there. And then he, Alan got in touch with me like a year later to play on his, uh, his last full length record. And, uh, and then, you know, I just became friends and, you know, see him around and hang out. And I actually, uh, went and sat in with his band a couple times to play the song on his record that I'd played on. And then, uh, about 2009, the guitar player that he had, a guy named Godfrey Townsend, had another tour to go do. And so I ended up subbing for Godfrey on a handful of dates. And then in 2010, Alan decided that he you know, wanted a little bit more of a West Coast-based band. He's had like a, he had, you know, a band based in England, and then he had a band based on the East Coast. And now the majority of his okay. band is the majority of his band is based over, out here on the West Coast. So, so he asked me to join in 2010, and, uh, and I've been doing that uh, doing that ever since. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Is I guess you it seemed like you had a fairly organic. Um, way of getting to know Alan through the sessions and, and sort of hanging yeah, out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, I know a lot of guitar players, myself included, have been obsessed with, you know, how do you get the gig? How do you get the audition? How do you get that yeah. spot in that band? And I think that, I think that the story is going to probably be different every time. If you were to go talk to yeah, every sure. hired gun, you know, guitar player that, that got a gig with, you know, an existing band or, you know, some legendary, uh, you know, rock guy. I think, you know, you'd probably hear as many different stories, uh, you know, as there were gigs out there. And uh, so that's, you know, that's that's my story. I mean, it's not to say that the the days of the, you know, demo tape are gone, but I really think, you know, it's really about, you know your relationships and and who you know and staying in the loop out in the, in your own things and and going out and playing as much as you can. I mean, you never, you literally never know who you're going to meet and what relationship is going to turn into something else. And I mean, that's just kind of proof that you need to be out playing a lot and you need to be a cool hang and. You know, you got to be willing to put in all the hours and hard work because it's like you're just not going to get a gig sitting at home, you know, playing, play, you know, putting out. I mean, I, I shouldn't say putting out YouTube videos. There are guys that have put out YouTube videos, I'm sure, and gotten gigs. But uh, I think that there's just nothing, you know, there's no substitute for the experience of going out and playing tons of shows and meeting people. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. <laughs> that's the. I that's bet. the smart I think that's the smart thing and I, that's also like you said the organic thing that's the more the real thing that gives I think people credibility is you go out and you look and see what you know what gigs have done. I just I was just on your website and I think you, you just did a recent thing with Andy Timmons yeah, yeah yeah I mean that I mean that guy's been playing I mean that guy's probably played like eight million gigs in his life or something yes yeah and absolutely. and you know I'm play, you know it's done all kinds of different things and 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 look at him he's like one of the most respected you know guitar players pretty much in the world you know one of the very you know very best players and you know that guy's been out playing man. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> he's out gigging so yeah well that's it there's no substitute is there there's um yeah you just gotta you gotta put the work in the way you get good is you know a lot of a lot of gigs a lot of practicing a lot of a lot of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, all the guys I talk to too. It's it's a labor of love, of course. You know, you, you the guys who are doing well, they're they're so passionate about playing. Um, you know, that's what what propels. Them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know to kind of stay interested in doing you know music as a career, guitar as a career, you have to at various times kind of go and reconnect with the original reason that you started playing guitar in the first place. Uh, you know, which is just for the love of making a noise, <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and because there's so many other things that, that, you know, can distract you from that, you know, as far as just the things about, you know, trying to book shows, trying to, you know, schedule rehearsals and, you know, 
personality conflicts and egos and you know there's all these things that kind of distract you from the actual joy of playing guitar and i think that's inevitably those are some of the things that maybe keep some people from from pursuing it more i mean and then there's also just the being told no so many times and having a certain amount of you know rejection all the time you know it's hard to deal with that you know hey man can i come play your club no hey man you know it's just like you know what i mean so it's like <laughs> there's so much rejection i think well probably in any sort of any of the you know fields as far as you know doing art or you know entertainment that you just have to kind of sure. get used to that that's just part of it and some people aren't built built to deal with that and other people believe in themselves enough to kind of persevere and, and keep it going. Yeah, it's it's definitely another skill set beyond the um, the musical skill, isn't there? To be to being a working guitar player. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's the thing. If there was, you know, one if there was one thing that I would do differently, you know, if I could go back in time and talk to my sixteen year old or seventeen year old self, <laughs> you know, it would be, hey man, you know go take a business class, you know, learn how business works and, and, you know, and, and don't, and, and work on just, you know, your communication skills with people because those things are so important, you know, when you're trying to book shows, you know, when you're trying, you know, do all these things that are, that are realities, you know, of, you know, all working musicians is just really how to, you know, communicate with people and, and, uh, and keep keep things you know keep your business sense about you you know mm -hmm. i think we'd all tell our 16 year old selves uh, a few things <laughs> so, <laughs> right exactly they sound like good things that you would have brought up it sounds like you've worked it out yeah so um cool hey back to alan parsons were you ever overawed that you know this is the guy who engineered or co-engineered dark side of the moon he worked on the last couple of beatles records oh yeah no man yeah it's i mean it's yeah absolutely i mean i, I kind of I was definitely aware of who he was and, and, and what his contribution to music was, you know, when I met him. And then as I got to know him and then, you know, got to know his catalog of, you know, the Alan Parsons Project mm. songs, you know, it definitely is one of those things where, you know, I constantly am grateful to work with someone, you know, with his experience and his, you know, pedigree. And... Yeah. You know, he doesn't talk about a lot of that stuff that much, the Floyd stuff or whatever, the Beatles stuff. Uh -huh. um, but when he does, you know, everyone, you know, it's, everyone stops talking, you know, because they realize, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. you get to hear some of these stories. And it's just like, you know, I mean, he was on the rooftop when the Beatles played for the last time, you know, he was, up, oh, he, was wow. he was at that gig. And, you know, so there's just things like that where, you know, it's just like, wow, man, you were there for some pretty crazy stuff. And then, you know, you then you start, you know, also talking about his records and the, you know, the Alan Parsons project records and the recording yeah, yeah. of that stuff and all the guys that played on those albums and everything. And, and it's definitely, you know, definitely a very cool thing to be able to be a part of. And, you know, there's, it's, there's a couple points during the live show where well, he'll come over and we'll kind of be shoulder to shoulder playing something, you know, and, yeah. And every single time, I mean, I don't know how many gigs I've played with him at this point, but every single time I get a little like, wow, man, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, like, wow, I get, to, awesome. I get to play this song in front of these people with this guy. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. that's unreal. Yeah. You know, when I was, um, I was a little bit unaware of how much stuff was actually his as well, mm -hmm. because because um, he uses different vocalists on some of the exactly. different material. Exactly. Um, for example, Prime Time, which you sing in the live set yep. now, um, that that's my favorite Alan Parsons oh. song. But I didn't know it was an Alan Parsons tune. There you go. Yeah. Uh, originally, was, but I'm like, I know and this that was, song. That was, I think, that was sung by his partner in the project, Eric Wolfson. I'm pretty sure that was Eric okay. singing on that. But wow. yes, that's the thing with you know, like all have friends that come to shows sometimes, or you know, people go, "Oh man, I didn't know that was one of his songs. I didn't know that was one of his songs." Yeah, really. And I think part of that is because there were so many different vocalists, you mm -hmm. know, on it that that you know you'd hear these songs on classic rock radio, and maybe the band name would kind of slip by, or you know, are you rec you know yeah. you recognize the song, and you know, there's not that many bands like that that have had that many different singers on that many different hits. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah, definitely. so yeah man there's a lot of songs that uh 
that were Alan Parsons project songs that, that, uh, you know, maybe people think were, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's, there's kind of like a handful of bands from the mid to late seventies, early eighties, you know, that you might think, Oh, I thought that was, uh, you know, I don't know, a Steely Dan song or, you know, or something like that, or, you know, that, that mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily realize was an, was an Alan song. Yeah, right. He um he seems to dig guitars though. Like there's there's some moments in the live show where you really get to stretch out, like prime time yeah. or eye in the sky. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of guitar in that music, and I don't think, I mean, I certainly didn't grow up going, oh man, there's a lot of guitar solos in Alan Parsons Project songs. But if you go back through the catalog and especially in the live set, there's a bunch of solos. There's a bunch of really kind of, you know cool guitar moments and yeah I mean there's a handful of songs that that all maybe cut loose on a little bit but you know I think yeah. for the most part it's definitely one of those gigs where you're trying to play the record or something very similar to the record um, sure. as far as the solos but yeah prime time at the outro prime time I kind of get to do my thing and the outro to Eye in the Sky you know, kind of start the solo off the way it is on the record and then kind of veer off into yep. uncharted lands. <laughs> but, but you know, it's also, you know, trying to keep it in the, in the style and in the theme of the situation. And, and that's been a great, sure. that's been a great lesson to play in a situation where, you know, obviously I hope that some of my personality comes out in my playing but at the same time, you want to be true to this music and these people that, you know, came to see this show. You want to be true to that vibe as well and not go out on some crazy limb. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah, it's a balance, hey. I, I mean, I think you're totally pulling well, off. Well, it's... thanks, man, because it's, you know, it is a bit of a stretch for me. I mean, you know, I am a pretty much a blues rock, classic rock guitar player and you know, a lot of the guy that played on his records, Ian Berenson, was really coming from like a jazz and kind of classical background and, mm-hmm. you know, early progressive rock stuff. And that's not my bag. And so it's really been, you know, a, a really good challenge for me to learn his parts and learn how to kind of exist in that musical world and still sound like myself, you know. Very, very cool. Um, speaking of cool stuff, the Live in Columbia album, I think it came out last year, but you guys recorded that back in 2013. Yeah, yeah. That looks amazing. You're working with the symphony orchestra on all this great material. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a handful of Alan Parsons songs that have orchestra on them. And so mm-hmm. we're able to kind of do these, these songs where we're joined by an orchestra and sometimes even a choir and wow. and then there's you know some other songs that you know that people have over the years I think written different kind of scores for some of these other songs mm-hmm. here and there. So it's definitely a very interesting experience to kind of be up there. You kind of <laughs> you know you feel like wow man I'm up here with all these classically trained musicians. I feel like a musician. <laughs> I feel like a musician today. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's real. It's a really cool experience, and especially you know to me it's almost it's cool when they're rehearsing the parts at like a sound yep. check and we're not the band okay. isn't actually playing and you're just hearing the orchestra running through these parts and it's just like wow that's a pretty amazing sound because once the band starts going 
and whatnot. You know, we use in-ear monitors, so a lot okay. of the stage, you know, you're not really hearing a lot of what's coming off the stage or what's going in out to the PA or whatever to the people. So yeah, sure. But so yeah, it's definitely there's you know there's a few songs where the orchestra just takes it, just you know, just takes it to the roof, just makes it a really incredible, incredible you know presentation of of some of those songs. Must be so exciting. That's really yeah. Cool. The, I'm, I'm you know the DVD is cool, man. It's it's you know it was outdoors at this really kind of unique stage, and and there it wasn't like it was a normal arena. It was like we were set up, kind of in the street across from this big, huge, crazy structure and these big giant There's these steps. big buildings. Yeah. yeah, and so just the setting of it was really different, and uh, so I think it's you know it's definitely a very unique uh, you know live performance in that regard. It's not like it's in a theater or you know, outdoors in an arena or, you know, something, you know, or something like that. It's just, uh, it's this really neat setting. So it was, it was definitely fun to, to experience that. And now I'm on a DVD and I'm on a DVD. So that's cool too. Nice. It's a win-win. Exactly. What's your touring rig like for, for the Alan Parsons stuff? What's my touring rig? Yeah. Well, uh, typically I bring, you know, a guitar. So I either bring the Les Paul or the Music Man. And then I've yep. got a pedal board that I bring that's that's at this point pretty small and compact. I've got one of those pedal train uh, minis or whatever they're called, or I don't know uh-huh. exactly what it's called, but I've got like about four or five pedals on that. And then amplifier-wise, it's it's backline stuff. And so when we're in Europe, I've got this great relationship with Hughes and Kettner amplifiers. And yep. so when we're over there. And, you know, it depends on where we go, you know, where you're able to get stuff. I definitely try and get their stuff whenever I can. Um, you know, I'll use the TubeMeister series or the TubeMeister Deluxe, which is a newer thing they came out with. And so those will be okay, the amps. Cool. And yeah. and then it's just the pedals. And I keep it pretty simple. If I have a, you know, if I have a three-channel amp, that enables me to keep my my uh, pedal board really simple so it's just a tuner into a uh, i've got one of those exotic ep boosters i really yep, like nice. the exotic stuff uh, you have one of those and then that goes into a tc electronics chorus and i was never really a big chorus user or even a fan necessarily but for the mm-hmm. clean sounds it just does something <laughs> you know it just, especially in that music it just really kind of makes this very shimmery shimmery sounds cool and then i've got that going into uh one of the new mxr evh phasers and i basically just have that just to kind of live out my rock and roll fantasies (laughs) (laughs) you know there's nothing like kicking on a little phaser and a guitar solo um Uh, so no it's uh, you were brought up in the 80s you were brought yeah. up in the 80s well and the other thing is too is is i i adjust that with my foot a lot like the rate of it okay so there's actually yeah, cool. some parts and some songs where i'll really crank up the speed and because i don't bring a okay. i don't bring a wah-wah pedal out on the road yeah I'll, I'll use that for some really subtle parts where i'll kind of get it try and line it up with the tempo of the song and use that as kind of like a subtle wah-wah effect and then okay. and then I'll just put it at a really really slow rate and just throw it on solos and it just you know it's it's not like really obvious but it just kind of gives yep. the guitar like kind of a cool texture during mm. solos and then that's going into a uh, Strymon El Capistan delay pedal which okay. is yeah, cool. uh, which is great because it's got a tap tempo function so I'll use a really kind of long delay on the ballads and do like this kind of tap yep. tempo thing so it just kind of creates this cool kind of washing effect and then it's got a favorite switch that you can hit and then i'd have that basically programmed for just kind of like a little mild slap back and i'll and okay. i'll put that on yep. for solos just to kind of give a little bit of depth to things i mean i like reverb when i play with my band sometimes because a lot of those blues recordings kind of had that so it's nice to Nice to have a little bit of sauce on things sometimes, you know. Sure. Nice. So you're using the um, uh, the H and K amps there. Your distortion sounds with the three channels. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. What if you get um, what if you got a gig that hasn't got the Hughes and Kettner? What do, what do you use for your lead tones? And um, things? you know, typically there'll be some sort of a Marshall. Um, okay. And you know, those are those. You know, some of those sound really good. I've I've found 
that a lot of them vary, you know, as far as the, the, the tone that you get, but you know, I mean, that's a, obviously a classic sound. And, uh, so if I get one of those, I, you know, prefer to get the TSL, which is the three okay, channels. Yeah. I can, I can do the gig with a DSL with the two channels. It's just yeah. not ideal. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, yeah, that's one of the things that I like about the Hughes and Kettner amps too, is, uh, is that you can get all those tones at a really low volume, whereas Marshalls, you tend to have to turn them up before you get to the sound that you want. But the Hughes and Kettner, you know, you can knock down, you know, the wattage on those things so that they're really quiet and you're getting, you know, this the, the, the tube saturation and the tone that you want because, you know, as much as we all like to play really loud... <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I, I, I was I've never been into ear splittingly loud, but I, you know, you like to get a yeah, good sure. tone and turn the amp up and move a little bit of air. But sometimes yeah, you can't yeah. you can't always do that, you know, depending on the venue and you know what yep. the in the front of house guy. I mean, Alan's got a big band. There's a lot of stuff going on, and so the more noise that there is on stage, the harder it is for him to mix the show. So. Sure, you know, we all kind of try and watch our watch our volume levels and uh, be respectful, not only the front of house guy, but anyone that's, you know, sitting in, right in front of the guitar cabinet. <laughs> the front row, <laughs> you right. know, so. Exactly. The, um, have, has there been any horror stories? Have you ever turned up to a gig in the back line as just a disaster? Um, not really. There was one gig where we showed up, and, I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I'm able to get you know, some of those marshals. There's one gig where show up and there's like a, I don't know, it was like a hundred watt JCM 900. And I just couldn't, okay. and I just couldn't. I mean, here's the thing, you know, and this is another just kind of guitar concept is the audience nine times out of 10 isn't going to know that you're struggling with your tone, especially, yeah, sure. especially in a band that's, you know, got that many pieces in it, you know? Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was a little bit tough. I've had, you know, I've had pedal boards go out in the middle of songs here and there. Mm-hmm. I actually had my pedal board go out like right at the end of the, of prime time when I'm about to launch into my, you know, my big oh, moment. Nice. And then this, <laughs> and you know, it's, you know, maybe it's a cable that just came a little loose or, or something. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh, oh come on. But, <laughs> at the same time, you know, I've learned to just to kind of accept those moments as they come. And, you know, ho- again, you know, hopefully it's not some live television broadcast, knock on wood, where, you yeah. know, your, your your gear fails. But, uh, you know, that's one thing. One of the things uh, that I've learned from being around Alan is just how calm he keeps in all these situations. And uh, mm-hmm. and. You know that things are going to work themselves out. You know, if like some gear goes down, it's like, well, then skip that tune, or we'll do this. You know, there's just there's ways just to kind of get through that. Because I think as a guitar player, here's my big moment. You know, well, yes. you're going to have another big moment, but at this time, your pedal board went out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. So, cool. That's a good way to look at it. Oh, I yeah.
you are working so much. How many um, how many gigs per year do you reckon you're doing? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the short answer to that is I think this year I'm going to probably come in at about 150 shows, um, you know, okay. but I think about 35 to 40 of those were Alan Parsons shows and, okay. you know, close to 100 of those are my band. And then there's a scattered few where I filled in for someone else or went and did a gig, you know, backing up some other people. But, uh, and that's, I guess that's a lot of gigs, but man, I mean, if you look and see what, like, bb king's schedule was in the 60s or the 70s yes. or something or you look sure. at some of these other bands um or artists that i see especially in the blues world you know these guys yep. are playing 200 250 shows and really working hard and i feel like i mean it's it's not to say that i don't feel like i'm working hard but you can always be playing more and you can always be working harder and uh but yeah man i feel very blessed to be able to do it as much as i as i am you know, for sure. I mean, I don't think 150 shows is is anything to like, you know, laugh at. But at the same time, there's guys out there doing more. <laughs> you know, <Sure>. <laughs> so you know, it's, I try and keep all that in perspective for sure. Someone once um, described a full time musician to me as uh, some guy looking for a job every weekend. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so that's that's kind of, you know, it's kind of true. It's like when you're you know, trying to book your band or do something like that. It's like you're kind of applying for the same job over and over again, you know. <laughs> so, and, you know, so that's, yeah, it's, definitely, it's definitely a humbling experience, I think, until, yeah. you know, unless you get into some situation where, you know, people are banging down your door to, to hire your band to come play things, that you have, sure. to, you have to be willing to put in that time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you are. It sounds like you're... You are, things are going really well. So, so for next year, you've got your your new album coming out. That's that's really great news. Any any other stuff going on for next year? For um, you? you know, right now, next year, uh, there's some Alan Parsons dates on the books. Um, we're going to New yep. Zealand in January, so we'll be we'll, we'll, we'll be right that. across the uh, whatever ocean it is down there. Is that still the Pacific? <laughs> Uh, it is the Pacific uh, and the, the little little stretch we call that the, the Tasman. Okay, the Tasman Sea. Right. But why are you not here? You know, I you know, I I honestly don't know. I, as from what I can tell from booking my band and trying to route my band and, and doing stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, you can't always route things the way that you want to. Sure. You know, it just there has to there's a timing element in all of that. And uh, yeah, you would sure. think you would sure. think, hey man, we're gonna be in New Zealand. Let's pop over to Australia for a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, hope, I mean, hopefully, man, I would love to. I would love to come to Australia, especially you know. I mean that that plane trip is supposedly pretty. You know, it's a pretty long one. So, but uh, so we're doing that in January. I've got a bunch of stuff with cool. my band in February around California. Um, I'm going to be going to Germany. It looks like on my own in March to go do uh, a festival and a show or two. Um, I've got cool. a couple guys over there that that I've played with that, that know my material. So I'm going to do that and, uh, get the new album out and, uh, you know, being just try and balance all of it. Do the, do the Alan Parsons live project shows and, and do my band in between those and try and play as much guitar as possible. Sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, hey, Alistair, so thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, yeah. Know... Thanks for having me on the show. And, and uh, you know, let me know when it's all up and running and I'll share it on all the social media outlets. Yes, that would be great. Speaking of which, what's the best way for people to keep a, a hold of what's um, going on well, in your if, world? If you, if you go to my website, it's alistairgreen.com. And if you have a hard time spelling my name, then you can just type in AG songs, my initial and the word <laughs> songs, and that'll go to my website. And that's got links okay. to all my social media. I, I, I maintain, you know, a Facebook page and an Instagram account, yep. and a Twitter account. And, and uh, you know, I try and post, you know, the gigs regularly and, and you know, other, you know, just kind of goofy stuff that's going on just to kind of, I mean, it is the entertainment business after all. So I try yes. and keep all my social media stuff fairly entertaining. It's, it's you know, the majority of it's music, but, you know, there's, you know, there's food and beer to post about as well. So. <laughs> absolutely definitely <laughs> and the odd cat yeah odd man cat you know well. my wife and i we've got a three cats and that's always uh that's always a fun a fun thing to post about because they're just they're hilarious they're like kind of walking they're like walking comedians so it's a it's always a it's always a good time 
Very cool. All right. That's great. Well, hey, thank you again. Yeah, ma'am. And, um, yeah, we'll look out for your album and uh, for any Australian detours, hopefully, in the future. Yeah, man, absolutely. I would love to get over there and, uh, and you know, keep me posted on what you got going on. And maybe we could do this again sometime. Yeah, love to. That'd be great. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Alistair. We'll, uh, we'll talk again then. Sounds good. Thanks so much. All right, there you go, Alistair Green. What a good guy and an amazing guitar player. Man, I love those long outros where he's just wailing over those chord changes. So cool. As uh, as our new friend Jude Gold would say, taking it to the moon and back. All right, so hey, check out Alistair's stuff. Uh, AG Songs will get you to his own website and all his latest news and things. Okay, hey, thank you for joining us on the Guitar Speak podcast. If you're enjoying the episodes, uh, please consider sharing them around on your social networks. Um, you can find us also on Instagram and Facebook. You can give us a follow or a like there. That would be fantastic. And um, yeah, why not subscribe? If you have not already, subscribe to us through iTunes or Stitcher, and then you can have the Guitar Speak podcast delivered to you each week with Guitar Speak goodness. All right. Hey, thanks so much again, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. Bye now.